Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, we want to talk about a biblical response to the problem of evil. A biblical response to the problem of evil. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. When we look all around our world, we see how far away we are from God's standard. We see uh, the schism. We see the fracture. We see the animosity within our communities. We see the family unit being torn apart. We see school violence. We see divorce rates going up. We see all kinds of uh, things that are beyond the scope of normality. And so when we look around, many of us ask ourselves, what is going on? What has happened to the sense of community that many of us used to have and used to experience? Then we look at the amount of evil that exists, the execution of innocent children at school, uh, the uh, kidnapping of uh, innocent couples uh, leading to their murder. When we see all of these things going on, we ask ourselves, why? And then we shift to how. how. How can we resolve these issues? How can we resolve this problem? Then ultimately, there are those who dare to question the creator as if he's responsible for the evil that exists in our world. So on today's episode, what I wanted to do was to take a few minutes to try to unpack the problem of evil and offer up a biblical response to this issue. So what is evil? We're talking about a fundamental and troubling departure from the goodness that God created. It is a fundamental as well as the troubling departure from the goodness that God created. It is also the refusal to accept God as the true and living God. It is the refusal or the objection or the rebellion against letting God be the God who he is in our lives. Then lastly, According to Randy Alcorn, if God is good, faith in the midst of suffering and evil, then we have to allow him to do what he wants to do in our lives. And that's for all of humanity. It is not the will of God that any man or any woman perish. So when we turn our face away from God, 
It brings about calamity. It brings about self-centeredness. It brings about a misidentification of who we are. So instead of being the human that God wants us to be, we function on a subhuman level, and many times we act more like animals than we do the image of God. So when we look at it philosophically, evil is the absence of the good that God created according to Genesis. Evil, again, is the absence of the good that God created. It does not exist in a vacuum. You won't get evil from inanimate objects. Evil exists in humans when we are void of God's righteousness. Evil is actualized when the will is turned away from God. It's actualized when the will is turned away from God. So, for example, when we say that evil is absence of the good, a hole in a cloth, as an example, cannot exist if there's no cloth. However, a cloth can exist without the hole. Darkness is not the opposite of light, but it is the absence of light. So evil cannot exist without the good. It is a dysfunction of the good. God created us, and he said we are ontologically good. But then God gave us a will, and the will is that immaterial part of us, uh, from a rational agent that's bent toward a desired goal. So when the will is misused, that's when evil is given birth. God gave all of us a will. The immaterial part of our nature um, that works in the rational sphere, which uh, influences our decision-making. So when we're in Christ... Through the aid of the Holy Spirit, we're able to function or uh, use our will for the good. Conversely, when you are not in Christ, you, and I'm speaking in generality, many people use their will for evil, for the bad, not for the good. So that is a philosophical uh, view of evil. Then There are many of us who ask themselves, how did we get here? You know, why, why, why is there so much suffering? Now, remember, evil is the absence of the good, and it doesn't exist in the vacuum. It is actualized, again, when the will is turned away from God. So the more we turn away from God, the more evil will increase. If you look at America, if you look at um, the way we were prior to all of this awakening of humanism or increase in humanism, um, where people uh, figured or idealized or uh, came to themselves and said, we don't need God. As a matter of fact, uh, Rice Brooks' book, God is Dead, is rooted in that argument. There are those, uh, especially in the 20th century, who dare to say that uh, we had 
basically come so far in human culture and human history that we no longer needed God. So as a result, uh, many people started doing things to try to erase God out of the picture. The term deism in uh, modern culture, modern definition, is basically an illustration of saying, I believe that God created everything, but then he left us to run our own lives. And that's the problem we are facing today. Um, Each person, just like the book of Judges, uh, there are many people who are uh, doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And so as a result, we find ourselves in this condition that we're in because we've turned our face away from God. We've turned our face away from God. So the relationship between suffering and evil is there's a categorical difference between evil and suffering. In today's society, suffering is often viewed as a general term that expresses discomfort, pain, and anxiety regarding a situation. However, evil is often viewed as the motive behind an act, the motive behind an act. So how is evil actualized? Take, for example, the German atrocities during the Second World War, which included a cremation of over 4,500 Jews daily in the ovens, as well as exper- experimentation of human skin by using them as lampshades and book covers. And I don't know about you, but that's evil. That is evil when a human can get to the point where you can not only murder another human being, but then you desecrate the remains. Evil. Then in um, Holodomor, uh, Ukrainian famine, in his attempt to punish the farmers of Ukraine, Joseph Stalin, as an example, Joseph Stalin starved close to 4 million Ukrainians to death. He took the farmers' grains as well as expelled others. So as a result of his act, millions died. Again, evil act. When humans turn away from the creator, when humans lean onto their own understanding, it gives birth to to sin. It gives birth to evil. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Evil actualized. In the early 20th century, the U.S. Public Health Service on syphilis recruited the hundreds of African Americans to study the effects of syphilis. Instead of treating the subjects with known medication, they allowed the disease to develop without treatment. Again, evil actualized. And so when we get to the point where we tell ourselves this could never happen, it seems like it's happening. No one would ever do that. Well, it seems like we're doing it. Wherever we turn, we see people acting inhumane. And that, that word is really interesting. To say something is inhumane presupposes you know what humane is. And my argument is 
we shouldn't walk by the world's definition of humane. We should walk by God's definition of what a human is because he is the creator. He created us. He has the manual of what a human standard ought to be. Ultimately, as evil persists, as evil is witnessed all around us, we ask ourselves, why do bad things happen to good people? This question uh, presumes that there's knowledge about goodness. It assumes there's a standard of what is good. If good exists, where does it come from? So as Christians, we believe what is good or bad is defined by God himself. Does the reality of suffering disprove that God is real or God is loving? The Greek philosopher Epicurus was born in the third century B.C., and he's credited with the following statement. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he's not malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? So again, Epicurus is sowing seeds of doubt in, in those who believe in God by saying because evil exists, there's either not a God or he's not a loving God. So let's, let's unpack that for a second. Objection number one, God is not able to prevent evil, so he is not God. Here's the response. The God whom Epicurus talks about is inconsistent with our God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, he's able to do whatever he wants to do in accordance to his will. Ephesians 1 and 11. Objection number two. If God is able to stop evil but not willing, then he is, uh, he is not uh, malevolent. So in our response, Epicurus is assuming there are certain things which ought to be classified as good and evil. If God does not exist, who, desi- who decides what is good and evil? He's the one that categorizes what is good and what is not good. So, again... Without God, there is no categories of good and evil, meaning that uh, all habits, all behaviors are basically uh, the same because your, um, your thinking, your ideology um, compared to mine would be the same because God is not in the picture. Number three, he says if God is able and willing, then where did evil come from? The Bible tells us, where evil comes from. It's, it is a function of sin. The Bible tells us all of humanity about the origins of evil. We learned that Adam committed moral evil when he broke his covenant with God, Romans 5 and 12. Objection number four to, uh, to Epicurus. If God is not able and willing, then why call him God? God is not responsible. This is our response. God is not responsible for the existence of evil. He created the potential for evil by giving man free will. Adam served as our federalist to sin, which was passed among all mankind. Um, Romans 5.12, where it says, Wherefore, it's by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So Adam served as our federalist. Adam... uh, Because of what he did, sin passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The fall affected everything. So when God created man and gave him free will, 
He created the potential for us to not use our free will the way that he wants us to use it. Now, yes, God could have uh, created us as androids, as robots, and, and program, program us to do exactly what he wants us to do, but he didn't create us that way. God created us with a free will, and I'm thankful for that. And this free will uh, gave man or humans the potential to either do things God's way or to do it their way. And Adam, in his moment of weakness, decided to misuse his free will. And thus, sin was brought into the world, and thus, the potential for evil was given birth. Proverbs 19 and 3. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Now, is it fair, some people ask, is it fair to punish all humanity for the transgression of one person? And we're talking about Adam and what Romans 5 and 12 tells us and what Genesis tells us, that he's the progenitor of sin. Now, is it fair because one man violated and transgress against God that we should all be held in contempt of God's standard. Standard. So, again, Adam served as our federalist. Adam was humanity's representative. So, as a result, when he fell, the consequences fell upon all mankind. He was our representative. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men into justification of life. For as by one man's sin disobedience, as, let me say it again, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous, Romans 5, 18 through 19. And I love that because God did not leave us in despair. God did not leave us hopeless. When Adam sinned, God already had um, a, a makeup plan. He had a contingency. And God knew through Jesus Christ, we can all be made right with him again. And that's what I love about the gospel. Even though Adam sinned, even though Adam fell, uh, we're not left uh, hopeless. We're not left in despair. We're not left in confusion. We're not left with without purpose. God all along had a contingency plan because he knew what Adam would do. And I'm thankful for this contingency plan because now we have a relationship with God, just like when uh, the relationship that uh, Adam had uh, with God in the beginning. We too can have a relationship with the creator. Now, how does God use suffering? God tells us that the trials in which evil and suffering, uh, and suffering uh, that come upon us have come that your faith of, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 1 Peter 1 and 7. So God tells us that trials in which evil and suffering come upon us have come that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So God is working it out through us. The things that we experience, the things that we go through, even though it may be evil, God is trying us. God is taking us, us through it 
and his expectation is he wants us to come through by trusting in him, and he will uh, guide us through it, and he will refine us through the process. Uh, no test that God allows us to, go, uh, to take is designed to destroy us. No, God doesn't allow tests and trials to come our way in order to, um, to destroy us. God wants to take us through it, though we, that he may be glorified and we edified in the process. So what is the role of suffering? God can use our suffering for the greater good. Situations such as cancer, chronic ailment, abandonment, mental anguish, rejecting a whole host of other issues are not intended to destroy us, but to draw us closer to God. Again, those situations are not intended to destroy us, to, but, but to bring us closer to the creator. So, despite the tragic nature of Adam's fall, God can still use it for good. Oh, fortune fall. Oh, Felix Copa. Despite the tragic nature of Adam's fall, God can still use it for the good. Despite the, trag uh, the tragic nature of Adam's fall, again, God can still use it for your good. Now, God refines his people for his glory. He does. That's what Peter alludes to. God can uh, refine his people for his glory. See, I have refined you. Though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction, Isaiah 48 and 10. Again, God is saying he has refined his people. Though not as silver, he has tested them in the furnace of affliction, Isaiah 48 and 10. And it is a prescriptive doctrine, so it's binded upon all of us to believe this. Then let me give you an example, John Dorembos. John Dorembos was a former long snapper for the Philadelphia Eagles. As a boy, John's dad murdered his wife with a power tool. His aunt and uncle fought to gain custody of John and his sister. John, after his football career, became a magician. His appearance on America's Got Talent compelled his aunt to make the following statement. The worst tragedy of my life became my greatest gift. Now, how can she say that? How can the aunt say that after uh, her own sibling was murdered? She was able to find the gold that God was trying to refine out of the tragedy. I'm not saying that it's not difficult. I'm not saying that it's not tragic. But in the tragedy, it's where God shows out. It's in the darkest hour that we see the sun. And then lastly, I want to introduce you to Nick Vujicic. Nick was born to God, uh, God-fearing parents. He was also born without fully developed limbs. As he grew up and looked at his condition, he wondered why a loving God would allow him to be born without limbs. He even had fleeting thoughts of suicide. However, as he grew, he read John chapter 9, verse 3, he felt the presence of God and became a Christian. So as a result, he found God's purpose for his life. He was born to be an encourager, and he points people back to Jesus Christ. What an awesome testimony. 
This man was born without arms. He's born without legs. But yet God is flourishing through him, through his testimony as he travels around the country preaching and teaching. He's able to touch other people's lives. Well, I pray that today's message touched your heart. I pray that God spoke to you. And remember, Jesus Christ can help us through the uh, life's issue of suffering and evil. Continue to support. Please go online to be a monthly supporter. And may God bless you as you continue to live for him. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. And as always, we would like to thank our friends at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this broadcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of... Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.